So in, 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 in an interview, this is what he's, they, they were asking, do you study the Bible just for, like, how, do, you devo- do you separate your, your devotional time from your, your preparation for preaching, or do you keep them the same? And he says, quote, in my own life, brother, I do keep those things walled off. I am still pretty rigorous. I've always been a pretty disciplined person, so I'm pretty rigorous about protecting my devotional time that, it's, that is not utilitarian. The purpose for that time is for me to meet with Jesus and get my heart right with the living God, quite apart from preaching. I have such vestiges. Now, just think about this, knowing about the hypocrisy here. I have such vestiges of carnality inside of me, brother, that I think if I use my devotional time as a means of preparation, it would be, it would be like me bringing flowers to my wife because I wanted to be intimate. It's utilitarian. So I do try to keep those things separate. When I say devotional in the act of studying, I'm, um, as I'm working through the text and I see something that convicts me, I need to stop right there and confess. I need to pick up the phone and call my wife and say, Honey, I'm sorry for being impatient with you at breakfast this morning. Or if I see something about the character of God, I need to stop right there and sing and respond. So... I think it's dangerous when a man, listen to this, I think it's dangerous when a man engages with the truth and is not immediately responsive to what it says. I think that can breed a hardened conscience, and pretty soon you can preach against sin while living in it if you let that go on long enough. So, and he's right, I mean, that's a true statement, but the sad thing is that this is probably him, while he's saying that, he's actually in it. Um... So all of us here desire to be faithful. We want to finish well. We want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And the good news for this brother is that that he could still hear that as well. It's not like Christian life is over. Public pastoral ministry life is probably over for him. Um, Probably should be over for him. But in terms of he could still get the well done, good and faithful servant. But we, we want to make it to the end. But we also want to not make shipwreck of our marriage or have all of our our gospelizing and disciple ministry being literally thrown away or being seen in a completely different light because of our sin and failure to, um, to walk with the Lord. The problem is that seemingly godly people fall. So how do we not fall? How do we help each other endure? So I have two things. How do we not fall ourselves? How do we help others in this church endure? And how do we even process a pastor falling and failing in this way. I certainly feel um, very vulnerable after hearing that story. I felt like, man, I felt like I was on the precipice of falling myself. I just felt like I was on the edge of something while I was reading it. Um, and it, it's, it's scary in that regard to think about what that could do for just the public ministry up until this point. Um, and then also just being heartbroken because I really learned a lot from this brother. A lot. I told him in January when we hung out, I told him, I said, um, the reason I'm in this doctor of ministry program in biblical theology at Southern Seminary is because of you, because of what you told me when I was an undergrad at Masters. Um, so, I mean, literally, ministry tra- trajectory directions in my life have been because of this brother. And so I've looked up to, up to him for a really long time. and um, And yet... At the, after the initial shock, my, our, my faith isn't shaken. Our trust in the Lord and His Spirit and in um, pastoral ministry is not shaken. So, so how do we get there? Okay, the way, the, the way I would suggest you do it is four things. Look 
focus, pray, and learn. And these are just practical principles. Look, focus, pray, and learn. Look. What I mean by look is when you see someone fall into that type of sin, look at that person's failure and see yourself. Don't look at that person and just, how could he do it? Look at yourself and see that as a picture of your sin and a mirror of your heart. You might not have fallen into that, but if God would have not held back your, some of the sinful desires in your heart by God's grace, you would be there. So see that as a mirror of you, and then repent from your own sins and confess them to God and others. I texted um, two brothers about this when I got the news, and I said, brothers, if you have sin that you're hiding, you need to go confess it right now. Everything you're hiding. To your wife, to your brothers in Christ, to your accountability partners, you just need to clear and clean the slate right now. And get everything out. Um, you, will, you will do far better for your life and soul if you, if you don't wait to be asked how you're doing or do you have anything to confess. But if you are proactive in actually initiating the confession. So, so when you see something like that, look at that person's fall and see yourself. And then grieve over your sin and your sinfulness first. This will keep you sober. It will keep you humble. It'll keep you desperate because you're needing God's grace. And it'll keep you from self-righteousness because there's anger that you probably should feel when people fall. But then that anger could quickly turn into self-righteousness, that how dare he do that? I would never do that. That's not the first feeling you should feel. Look at that person and see yourself. So that's first, look. Secondly, though, focus. Don't just look at yourself in the mirror. Look at Jesus. Focus on Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy set before us, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So go to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 talks about how Jesus is the high priest who suffered in ways like we have, in every way that we have, yet without sin. And so um, it says in Hebrews 4, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. And then verse 16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That is very important. This brother who fell, I, rem- I could hear his voice with so many sermons in my head. I remember him preaching on this passage and saying, Jesus can sympathize with your weakness because he's been there. And because he's been there, go to him because he knows exactly what you need when you need it. It's just crazy because I'm hearing him as I'm talking about this. But, but the verse is still true, and that statement is still true. Christ can sympathize with us, and he knows what we need when we need it. So go to him for mercy and grace. And then when, you, when you're going to Jesus on this focus, notice how much your, your, your trust in pastors and leaders have slowly moved from Jesus to pastors and leaders. This is a fine thing because you're supposed to trust your pastors and leaders. So I don't want to say that there shouldn't be any shock at all. We should be shocked because we should expect biblical qualifications. And yet sometimes we can suddenly trust in leaders, human leaders, more than Jesus. So when you're looking at Jesus, just try to spot some of the areas where you might have put misplaced hope and confidence in the leader and not in Christ as the leader. So focus. So look at yourself in the mirror. Look at Focus on Jesus. Thirdly, pray. When I say pray, what I mean by that is pray for your own soul and pray for yourself first. Pray for your family, your marriage. Pray for your church, your church leaders and the marriages in your church. And I say pray for them 
before you pray for the fallen brother. And the reason for that is I was on a forum with some pastor friends. And one brother rightfully said, man, I'm going to start praying that he has true repentance and experiences true forgiveness and that the church will truly forgive. And that he'll experience true reconciliation. And I said, brother, pray that for me too. <laughs> you know, don't just pray that for him, pray that for me. And what I mean by this, let's pray that for, like, as you're so sobered and you want to pray for the person, pray for yourself first because that, again, that's the looking in the mirror. I need that just as much as he does. Just because he fell doesn't mean I need it less. I need it just as much. So pray for yourself and your church first. But then, but then pray for him. So pray for the fallen brother. Pray for the marriage. Pray for the church. Pray for those who followed his leadership, like me and others. And then pray for other Christian leaders and churches and marriages you know. And then pray for your soul one more time, just because you need it for your own soul. Okay, so pray. So look in the mirror. Focus on Christ. Pray desperately. Fourthly and lastly, learn. Learn some lessons. And here I'll point out a few lessons that I've learned. And then if you want to ask questions, maybe we could have one or two people ask a question. I could give a brief answer before we move on. Here's a few lessons I wrote down. You don't have to write these down. I could email these to you, so don't worry about typing them. Or it's recorded as well. Remember that the best of men are men at best. Alistair Begg has said that often. The best of men are men at best. Secondly, God uses people, but life is a marathon. So in other words, you can be used for the first half of your marathon and then be sidelined for the second half. It doesn't mean that the first half was irrelevant. It doesn't mean the things that I learned from this brother are not true. It is true, and I'm still holding on to everything I've learned that was biblically true. And yet, just because you go strong for the first half doesn't mean you go strong for the second half. You can have the best 10 years, the 10 years, you can have the best marriage for 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 the next 10 years and then fall in year 11 or year 12. It's not a guarantee just because you have 10 good years that the next 10 are going to be good. That's not a guarantee. So... Um, so it's a marathon. It's not a, a quick lap around and we did great. We had a good year of marriage. Praise the Lord. Well, yeah, great. But you got to keep going. It's not over yet. And so, um, so, so that's, that's another lesson, which means we need to fight every day. Fight sin every day. Randy Alcorn um, has a list that he reads off. I have so many materials here that we don't have time for. Maybe I'll do another thing next week on it. Uh, but Randy Alcorn has a list of things he reads every day to remind him what would happen if he fell. Like, um, what would it do to my wife? What would it do to my kids? What about my church? What, and then he named the people you discipled. Um, named the, I'll, I'll bring shame just like all these fallen leaders. And so I copied and pasted that list. And sadly, but surely, my list just keeps growing of fallen leaders. I just put his name up on the list um, this past week and put it on my new list. So as I read through the 20 consequences or results of your, your moral failing, what would happen? Um, it's a really sobering list that you forget. You kind of get deluded by sin. So read a list like that. I'll email it to the church on the church email. If you're not a member of our church, just shoot me an email. I'll, I'll send you the list as well, or I'll even text it to you after this um, service if you want it now. Um, a, a fourth lesson here, confess your sins and repent with your church family and repent every day. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Not in a Roman Catholic sense where you need to confess it to them for you to be forgiven, but confess it to them because you are desperate and you need help. Fifthly, um, 
lesson, fifth lesson here. You can be a functional hypocrite for a while. I mean, this man was a powerful preacher. He was at Shepherd's Conference, and um, and a lot of I was there at Shepherd's Conference. A lot of people didn't know who he was, and I was thinking, man, they don't even know what they're in for right now. Um, and then someone tweeted after the sermon, this pastor just blew 5,000 pastors at Shepherd's Conference to smithereens. Because <laughs> that's what it was. It was like just a powerful sermon, and yet he was already disqualified. So what does that mean? That means you can be a functional hypocrite for a while. You can actually learn to minister and preach and speak biblical, theological, edifying things regularly and let it roll off your tongue so quickly while you have compartmentalized your sin and hypocrisy. And you can do that. It's possible. And this brother has done that. I mean, I just read you that interview, like that quote, right, about like talking about how you could, you know, he's warning about that hypocrisy while he was in it. So uh, you, it could just roll off the tongue. So um, beware of functional hypocrisy. And the reason why, oh man, I, gotta, I know I'm short on time here. The reason why functional hypocrisy is such an easy thing to fall into is because we all, all of us here right now, as I look at all of you, all of you know more than you do, Right? We all know more biblical truth than we actually apply in our lives. So there's already a disconnect there. Once that disconnect, once you get, oh, there's a disconnect there anyway, so it's normal. Once you use that as an excuse for not trying to continually repent and close that gap over and over and over again for the rest of your life, once it becomes an excuse, then you learn to function with that disconnect. And then when people are edified and they're encouraging you for your ministry, you feel like everything's all good. And it's not. Okay, so there is always a disconnect between what you know and what you do because you're never going to live out everything you know But because we've got to keep growing in our knowledge and then we keep doing it. But don't let that disconnect become the excuse for cultivated functional hypocrisy. Continually repent of all your sins and don't hide anything from the Lord. You can't hide anything from the Lord, but you think you do. And don't hide things from the people that need to know. Sixthly, There is no silver bullet. So here's the sad news for you married couples and future married couples and others who are maybe single for the rest of their lives and still can make shipwreck in some ways. There is no silver bullet that you can take, that you could find today to guard you for the next 10 years of your marriage. Like I said earlier, it's a marathon. And yet, yet, there is a silver bullet that will keep you from falling. Here's a silver bullet. It's not one silver bullet you could take today that will guard you for the next 10. Here it is. You will not fall into this type of sin if you repent from your sin and trust Jesus freshly every time you're convicted of sin. If every time you read your Bible and you're convicted, you repent and you actually repent, you will never fall into this. John MacArthur said, the one who falls into sins like this, a man who falls into this type of sin doesn't fall very far. What he means by that is if this is the ledge, so if you could just imagine this is the ledge of falling off, if you're here, you can't fall off on that ledge over here when you're standing here. You actually have to make compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise, lack of repentance after lack of repentance after lack of repentance, and then you fall here. So if you're repenting daily, and not just daily like at the end of the day, but regularly when you're convicted of sin, you you can't fall here from over here. 
But you can think you're here because even as I'm, I could, I could be saying this message right now, thinking I'm here, and I'm actually like right here, what, right as a function, right? So you just got to keep being real regularly with your church family and with your spouse. And then lastly, um, the last lesson here is grace flows through faith and it weakens sin and temptation. So uh, you want to keep trusting in God and weaken the temptation and sin in your life by repenting and let grace flow that way. Grace doesn't flow by hiding things and pretending. Grace and transformation flows by repenting and then strengthening others from your weakness, not your strength. That's Luke 22, 31 and 34. So um, I want to call all of you to cling to Christ and repent regularly, not just by yourself, but with your BBC church family. Or for those of you who from, are from a different church, it's very important that you cultivate meaningful relationships in your church where it's not merely we're members of the same church, but you actually share life and share um, struggles and sins. Not with every single member, but with some. It has to be with some. All right, if you, if you do this, if you'll repent regularly and trust in Christ freshly with your church family, if you don't do this, you will continue to be deluded. You'll grow in self-righteousness and hypocrisy, functional hypocrisy, and you'll be preparing yourself for a great fall, maybe even apostasy, not just falling in this regard, in, in marriage or something like that, but even falling away from the faith where you reject Christ. That's possible. But if you do repent regularly and trust in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection regularly, then you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. You will guard your heart and you will strengthen your brothers from your vulnerability. So I want to encourage you to trust in Christ freshly by, when you read the word and repent from your sins and do it with your church family. All right. Before we take communion, anyone want to ask a question, make a comment or thought? Because this is a heavy, well, it feels heavy for me and those who know the situation. Some of you don't know who he is, but maybe it still feels heavy for you. Anyone want to ask any questions about anything, even about me? I, am, I, I mean, for the members here, I am your pastor. So if you want to ask questions about me, that's, that's fine. It's not inappropriate. You might be looking at me suspicious, you know. If you want to ask questions... You know, that's, that's what, you could do, do it privately as well. You don't have to just do it here. But anyone want to ask or say anything right now about anything? Going once. Okay, one here. Anyone else? Okay, that's Claire, right? Okay. Yes. Anyone else want to make a com- comment? Just I want to get the hands out before we close. Just Claire? That, sure? I, I Going guess once? So. Going twice? This is more like All right, go ahead, Claire. a curiosity question. Um, can you take the baby? <laughs> Um, there's positions that everyone has as a Christian. Um, so there's, there, you have your elders, you have your deacons, you have your pastors, you have the people that are appointed to certain ministries. How clear was it for you that pastoring is something that, that God intended for you and oh. set aside for you personally? Um, like how did, like how it was a hundred percent clear. For me, subjectively, that doesn't mean objectively. I was 100% sure. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is, I'll just, I'll make it really short. I want, I never wanted to be a pastor. I sensed God's call on my life when I was around 12. I got saved when I was nine. Sensed God's call when I was 12, but said no. Super strong no. God, I do not want a pastor. Don't make me do that. I want to be a rich, a rich deacon. 
A deacon. A deacon. You said that. I said that to God. I want to be a rich deacon, not a pastor. (laughs) Because our pastor was poor, so I thought all pastors were poor. And I was like, Lord, uh, we grew up fairly middle class, and my dad was sold out to Christ in the church, and he was a deacon. Uh So I was like, Lord, I want to be like my dad. I don't want to be a pastor. When I turned 18, or when I graduated high school, that summer after graduating high school, God, in reading scripture and like um, fellowshipping with our church family, the youth group in particular, God gripped my heart so tightly that I literally didn't care about money anymore. Yeah. I was like, I was so happy in the Lord that I thought, God, and I was so burdened for my youth group at the same time that I thought, God, if you'll keep me this happy, I don't care how poor I am. Yeah. Just keep me this close to you, and I'll, I'll do the pastoring thing. Yes. So in my mind, it was just super, it was crystal clear. But that's not how it is for every pastor who's legitimately called to pastoral ministry. That was a personal question. So. Yes, that was. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I only have that by curiosity because for me and my husband, it's, it's always like a big question mark for me. Like, where is it that you want us, God? You know? We're going so far out to figure out where you want us to be. Like, what is it that you want us to do? We're already sold out for you. I'll, we'll drop everything, you know, just for the sake of this gospel. Putting our life on the line, literally, like everything. Right. You know, if, if God tells us, all right, go to the Philippines, we'll go there. Right. Where in the Philippines, you know? It's, you know, it's, so it's, it's more just, you know, like we're... And God knows what he's doing. Like, as yeah. exiles, I'm sure you guys could identify. Yeah. You don't, you don't pitch your tent here in the world and, like, like ours is in eternity, right, in Christ. And, and here we're called to suffer and to suffer well. Right. But through, through the recent seasons of us asking just this real strong question, right. just along the way, we've been, I've, I've been meeting a lot of different people that have been doing the same thing. So okay. slowly it's starting to be more clear, but I just wanted to know. Let, so let me give you a short answer, and then, we'll, then I'll ask Chris and some other brothers to pass around the Lord's Supper. Okay? Um, the short answer would be there's a subjective element of where your desires are, and then there's the outside of the church and what the church thinks of you. So when I, th- when I was 100% sure, that didn't mean I was called. Um, I went to my pastors, and then the church had to actually weigh in on that so there's a subjective side personal thoughts and feelings and opinion then there's the objective side the church's um, the church's take on your call so that, that's where sharing life meaningfully and deeply with the church family is really important for knowing where God is guiding you I mean in our church there have been we've had people where I would you know I get uh, they ask me can you recommend me for seminary sometimes I say yes sometimes I say no and it's, it's not because I just want, you know, it's just like where I'm at and where our church is as we share life, we get to know each other. And we need to be honest with each other where we're at, you know. So if, but a lot of churches, they'll just sign off on it right away. You, don't, you want a church where they'll actually honestly say, you know, brother, I don't think you're called to that. Or why don't you do more ministry here first and let's see how that goes. So you need that outside perspective. Okay. Um, I'm just going to, Tia, you want to say something? Okay. Okay. Hold on. Here comes the microphone for the recording. All right. I'm sorry to the parents who have kids that we're going sorry. a little bit over time before the communion. But um, if anyone has a problem with it, you can. I just have a question. So when a um, someone in a public role, like a pastor, say falls, um, and let's say they repent, they're restored to the church, etc. I mean, to what point are they disqualified? Like they can never be like official, like like deacon, whatever, or 
do you know what I mean? Like, sure. can they never have like ministry roles like within the church again? I, I guess I'm just curious yeah. what that looks like practically after you've restored someone who's repented. Sure. So every Christian is called to the Great Commission to make disciples and to teach, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That's the end of Matthew 28, 20. Every Christian's commanded to teach. You don't have to be pastor qualified to teach. Now, teaching behind the pulpit, teaching as a pastor elder in the office, that's different. But everyone is to teach. So in that sense, he should be, every, every, every Christian should do what every Christian should do, fallen or not, from being a, from being a pastor. So discipling, um, reading the Bible with people, sharing the gospel. It's like you're never disqualified from that as a Christian. You, you're obligated to do that. So, so that's the first thing to say. But when you talk about church roles, like pastoral ministry or deacon roles, like offices of the church, one of the qualifications in, is blamelessness or being above reproach. I would say a brother like the, in that type of situation is no longer going to be above reproach for the rest of his life, most likely. There are, so if someone did this before they became a Christian, became saved, that's different. If they're, even as a baby Christian, if that was part of their lifestyle, they got saved and were still kind of, there's some momentum of that sin still carrying on in their baby Christian season, I still think they could be above reproach. Um, but, but once you're pastoring and preaching, I've been a pastor since 2002, so that's 16 years. I mean, if I, if I did that, it would, that's 16 years of pastoring. That's just, there's no excuse for baby Christianness in my life that it would just, I would not be above reproach anymore.